0: Go ahead and turn in your Bible to Psalm 117, Psalm 117. this morning is to enjoy psalm 117 and enjoy god in psalm 117 and and then uh, in response to it take a turn toward um, our church and the mission of god the all nations mission of god because i believe that when psalm 117 is quoted in the new testament that's the context in which it's quoted so if you're in Psalm 117, let me read this to you. This is actually from Deuteronomy 32. Don't flip there. But this is what I want to pray concerning our time this morning. Deuteronomy 32, verse 2. This is Moses' prayer. May my teaching drop as the rain. That's a prayer that it would be a message from heaven, that it would be like that which comes down from heaven like, like the rain, and it would come to the earth. Then it says, my speech distilled as the dew, that it would spread everywhere. This like dew is on everything in the morning, like it would hit all of us, the teaching from God's word like gentle rain upon the tender grass and like showers upon the herb, that it would be effective, that it would bear fruit. Let's pray this now. Father, thank you so much for for giving us your word and giving us this freedom and this moment, Lord, to sit here and to read it together and meditate on it together. God, please help us. Give us eyes to see. Help us to see your glory, Lord, and and Lord, I pray that you would address us and move us where we need to go. And God, I pray this prayer, that the teaching from your word would drop like rain. God, your church does not need words from men. Your church, Lord, needs words from you. And I pray, God, that it would spread, it would distill like the dew, Lord, and that it would be fruitful and effective for your glory and namesake. Please help us, Lord, this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's read Psalm 117. This is God's Word. Praise the Lord, all nations. Extol Him, all peoples. For great is His steadfast love toward us, and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. A few things I want us to see in this this psalm. The first thing is this, is the centrality of worship. I want you to see here the centrality of worship. Notice that it begins and ends with this phrase. Look at the beginning. Praise the Lord. That's how it starts. And How does it end? It ends with the same phrase. Praise the Lord. And right there in verse 2, just to add on to it, not just praise the Lord, but it says extol Him. Exalt Him. Extol Him. Praise the Lord. Glorify Him. That's the idea. Now there's a group there's a group of words in the Bible that are often used together and oftentimes interchangeably and this group of words really it gives you insight into the reason in in which you exist. Did you know the Bible tells you the reason, the ultimate reason for your existence? In fact it tells you the ultimate reason for all things, while all things were created. And those words are words like this, glorify God, worship God, praise God, extol God, exalt Him. That group of words are used all over scripture. One really uh, well-known place is in Isaiah 43. In Isaiah 43 verse 7 it says, my people whom I created for my glory. There's the reason for your creation, for His glory, the people that I formed and made. Now, a little bit later in that chapter, verse 21, it says, The people that I formed for myself, they shall declare my praise. Same thing. We exist for His glory. We exist for Him. We exist to declare His praise. It's that group of words telling you the reason that you breathe. Now, another place that's a little less well-known and if you're able to hold your place and flip there, you can go to Romans 15. This is another place where we see that group of words. And I want you to notice the same thing. Romans 15, in verse 8, it says this, And in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for His mercy as it is written. Now, so, so listen, he's about to quote four Old Testament Bible verses, four Old Testament passages that are describing what to us? The nations, the Gentiles, glorifying God. That's what it just said there in verse 8, that the Gentiles, excuse me, verse 9, that the Gentiles might glorify God. What does it mean that the Gentiles glorify God? We'll look at it here. Look at the verses that he quotes. Number one, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. That's a description to glorify God. Praise Him, sing to His name. Keep going. Second one, rejoice, O Gentiles, with His people. That's what it's like to glorify God, that the Gentiles would rejoice in Him, delight in Him. The third one. Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. That's what it looks like to glorify him. Praise him, extol him, exalt him. And then last one, number four, the root of Jesse will come. Even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, in him the Gentiles will hope. That's what it looks like to glorify God, that they would hope in him. So this group of words that describes the reason you exist, the reason you breathe, you live, you exist for his glory, for his praise, for his namesake, for his exaltation. To rejoice in him and hope in him so he gets all the glory and praise from your life. It's the reason, it's the reason for your existence. And so I say Psalm 117 shows us the centrality of worship. Because we need to see how central that command is. That command, praise the Lord at the beginning, praise the Lord at the end, is very central. It's the reason you exist. In fact, it's the reason you, if you're saved here today, it's the reason for your salvation. If you go read Ephesians chapter 1, it's a glorious detailed description of a believer's salvation. And there's a little phrase that's repeated one, two, three times in that section as your salvation is being described. And the phrase is this, to the praise of His glory. To the praise of His glory. To the praise of His glory. Why did God save you if you're here and you're converted this morning? Why did God save you? Ultimately, the ultimate reason He has saved you is to the praise of His glory. This is the centrality of praise. The centrality of praise of worship. Praise and worship is not merely a part of the Christian life. It's not something you do on occasion when you sing to God. It's sitting at the very top. Worship to God is central. It should be at the top of the priority list for every Christian. In fact, it should be It should be the title of the priority list. Here's your priority list. The title is to his glory, to his praise, for his namesake, for his exaltation. And below that are all these bullet points. Live and breathe and read and preach the gospel and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. All fitting under this title. Whether you eat or whether you drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. This is the centrality of worship. And it's right here. In Psalm 117. Now, who is being called to worship here? When you look back, look right there at Psalm 117. Who's being called to worship? Now, surely it's the Jews, right? This is a Jewish hymn book. This is the divinely inspired Jewish hymn book. Surely it's the Jews being called to worship. And yet that's not what we see. The answer there in verse 17 is excuse me, in, chapter, in in Psalm 117 is praise the Lord who? All nations. Extol Him, all peoples. This is a command for praise and worship, a call to worship. And who's that call going out to? All nations, all peoples. This is a worldwide exhortation, a global call to worship. Now what should be on our minds When we hear these words, nations and peoples, which, by the way, is a way to say it. We don't don't talk like that very often, do we? We say people, but we don't say peoples. What should be on our mind when we hear those words, nations or peoples? And I want to encourage you to think like this. This is to think biblically. that It's not just the, the national boundary lines on your world map. It's not merely that, okay? But rather, it's the peoples that are scattered throughout those nations, throughout those what we call nations today. It's uh, What people often say today is people groups. Okay, That's what should be on your mind when you think, praise them all nations, praise them all peoples. It should be these, these people groups scattered throughout the world. Now, in the Old Testament, that sounded like this. Moabites, Edomites, Amalekites, Kenites, etc. Modern day, today, it sounds like this. The Tajik people of Afghanistan, the Kurdish people of northern Iraq, the Jat people of India, the Uyghur people of China. There are 2,000 peoples, 2,000 people groups just in India alone. All of them. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Bring glory to the name of the God that created you and sent His Son to redeem you. All people groups. Now we get some light on that in Revelation 5, 9. Don't flip there, just listen. By your blood, Jesus, by your blood, you ransom people to God from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. That gives you some insight to what should be on your mind when you think of nations or peoples. That there are boundaries. There there are barriers uh, amongst people. Barriers through which the knowledge of God cannot easily and naturally pass over to someone else. And listen, when it's all said and done, the gospel will cross every barrier. It will cross tribal barriers to save a people in every nation. It'll cross language barriers. It'll cross national barriers as Christ gathers up his all-peoples broad his all-nations broad. This is the kind of stuff that should be on your mind when you hear all-nations or all-peoples. Now, somebody might say, wait a minute. Wait just a minute. We're talking about nations. Worshiping God in the Old Testament. I thought that was a New Testament thing. I thought the nation stuff was New Testament. And and why are we in the Old Testament talking about nations worshiping God? I thought the Old Testament was about Israel. Now, I believe some people think that way. As if the nations were somehow plan B. Like God's doing this thing with Israel. Man, didn't work out. He thought it would work out. didn't work out. Plan B. Let's go to the nation's. I think, you wouldn't word it that way, but I think oftentimes people think that way. But the reality is, is this all nations mission, this all nations mindset is from Genesis to Revelation. It's not just in the New Testament, it's in the whole Bible. Now I know many of you are convinced of that, many of you see that, you know that. Okay. But I want everybody in the room to be on the same page about all nations' mindset being Genesis to Revelation. So I'm about to take three minutes and 23 seconds to go Genesis to, to Revelation on the nations. Okay? Hear me out and be persuaded and be convinced. Where did the nations' thing start? It started in Genesis 11, right? The Tower of Babel, there were no nations. It was one people, one language, Tower of Babel. Now there's nations everywhere. There's people spread out over the earth. That's chapter 11. What do we see in Genesis chapter 12? Abraham, I'm gonna send one through you, the seed that's gonna bless all nations. It's there in the very beginning. Galatians calls that verse I just quoted in Genesis 12:3 the gospel. That there's coming a Messiah that's going to bless all nations. That's good news. Now, the foundational promise scattered throughout the book of Genesis is that promise. He says it to Abraham. He says it to Isaac. God says it to Jacob. It's repeated to Judah. That there's coming a Messiah through Israel, through your lineage, that's going to bless all nations. Therefore, that's the foundational promise of the people of Israel. When you're reading about the people of Israel in the Old Testament, a foundational promise is these people are being raised up because the Messiah is coming through them that's going to bless all nations. And so when you read about Israel in the Old Testament, you think about it like this. God gave that Old Testament people, Israel, a, a divine songbook, Right? The, the book of Psalms. They, so what songs, what songs does God decide to put in their minds, put in their hearts, put on their lips? What kind of songs? Psalms like Psalm 67. Let the peoples praise you, O God, Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. Like Psalm 96. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Declare his praise among the peoples. Like our psalm today. Psalm 117, praise Him all nations, extol Him all peoples. That's what He put in, on, their, on their mouths, in their, in their hearts, and their minds. And not only does He put that in their songs, but He sends them prophets. And what kind of things do their prophets say to them? They say things like Isaiah 49, 6. He's sending a Messiah, and he, and he says this about the Messiah in Isaiah. He says, "It's too small, it's too little of a thing for you to just be for Israel. You will be a light to the nations." That's what their prophets are telling them in the Old Testament. Or Daniel, chapter seven, verse 14, it shows you that picture of the Messiah. He's died, buried, risen from the dead, ascended before the ancient of days, and what's given to him, according to the prophet Daniel, a kingdom. And it's not just a Jewish kingdom. It's the kingdom of all nations, tribes, and tongues. What about Malachi 11? From the rising of the sun to the going down of the same, the Lord's name will be praised among the nations. My name will be great among the nations, Malachi says. It's not just a New Testament thing. It's an Old Testament thing. It's always been in the mind of God. And then the Messiah comes to His people. He accomplishes His work. Jesus lives the perfect life, dies in the place of sinners, risen from the dead. And what charge does He leave them with? He leaves them with that all-nations mission. Go make disciples of all the nations. This gospel of the kingdom should be preached in all the world as a testimony to all the nations. And then the end will come. It's what He leaves them with. And what is the book of Acts? Acts. The book of Acts is the beginning of that spread of the glory of Jesus Christ into every nation, tribe, and tongue. And then we get a little bit of tidbit into heaven in Revelation chapter 7. and Listen to this, 7-9. After this I looked. Here's your glimpse into heaven today. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and all peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on His throne and to the Lamb. Therefore, Psalm 117 is fitting in with all the scripture that the nations are commanded, people groups all over the world commanded to worship and to praise our God. Now, why are they being commanded to do such a thing? Why are the nations, in Psalm 117, why are the nations being commanded to worship God. Now first off I want to say this, this psalm does give reasons. Okay, It doesn't leave you without reasons. It's not just a command but it gives you reasons in Psalm 117. And that's actually a great thing to recognize. This is not um, a call to praise the Lord and just fake it. This is not a call to fake it. This is, I was thinking about that, this is not just when I cook for the family. And and my wife looks at the kids and say, "Tell them thank you and you enjoyed it." They just have to fake it. They are not really thankful. They didn't enjoy it, but thank you, Daddy, for the food. It's not like that. This is this is praise. This is taste and see that God is good. Enjoy Him. Know Him and thus praise Him. Praise the one that's worthy of praise. Reasons are given in Psalm 117 for why the whole world should worship this God. Now what reasons are given? Two wonderful attributes of God. In verse 2, the love of God and the faithfulness of God. Look at it, verse 2. For, why praise Him? For great is His steadfast love toward us. And the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. These two attributes of God, the love of God. Our God is a God, do you know this, that loves the the unlovely. He loves those that have not loved Him. That God's like that. And this verse calls it steadfast love. Once He sets His love on you, it never fades. The glorious love of God and His faithfulness. It mentions His faithfulness here that endures forever. He always keeps His word. He always keeps His promise. Has He ever said anything and not done it? Has He ever spoken it and not made it good? He always has. He's always true to His character. He's unchanging, and that's good news because He's perfect, and He's good. Worship Him, all nations. Look at His love. Look at His faithfulness. Now, these two reasons, these two attributes of God are reason enough all by themselves to shout out a global command all the world, Worship this one. It's reason enough right here. The love of God and the faithfulness of God. But I want us to go a little bit deeper into this, into what this says in verse 2 of this psalm. And I want you to see, if you understand it rightly, it takes you a straight path to Jesus and tells all the nations, worship God because of Jesus the Christ. And I want you to see that in this psalm. Notice in verse 2 the word Us. You see it there? For great is His steadfast love toward us. Who is the us there? In Psalm 117, the nations are not commanded to worship God because God loves you. And He's faithful to you, nations. That's not what it says here. This is all nations worship God because He loves us. Israel, the Jews, and He's faithful to us. That's what the psalm is saying here. Now, does that sound strange to you? And I'm sure that it would. Why would all peoples be called to worship God because God loves and is faithful to the Jewish people? Why would God do that? And how you understand that is a direct path to seeing the glory of Christ in Psalm 117. Why would God tell all nations to worship Him? Because He loves and is faithful to the Jewish nation. Now here's how you can understand it. You can look back and you can look forward. Well, well if you look back and you think about that promise I mentioned in Genesis chapter 12, verse 3 and other places scattered throughout Genesis, if you, if you think about that promise to Abraham, through whom will come Israel, I'm going to send a Messiah to you. I'm going to bless you and I'm going to bless those who bless you. I'm going to send a Messiah to you who's going to bless all nations. Hey, nations, worship God because God loves us and he's faithful to us and he will do exactly what he said. He will send the Messiah through Israel and all nations will be blessed. Worship him, all nations. So you can see it there. But I want us to look forward. I want us to go to the place, So go back to Romans 15. I want you to flip there. And I want you to see the place where Paul the Apostle quotes Psalm 117. And I think we get some light here. This is the place where Paul the Apostle quotes Psalm 117. <clears throat> Romans 15, look at verse 8. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised. You hear that? Christ was sent and became a servant to the Jews, a servant to Israel, a servant to the circumcised. Why? To show God's truthfulness. It's God's faithfulness. He's been faithful to them. What do you mean? In order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs, he's putting his faithfulness on display. And then look at this. And in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy as it is written. And verse 11 quotes Psalm 117 to back up this idea. Did you see that? Nations, what is the ultimate fulfillment of the command of Psalm 117? Nations, nations, worship God because He loves us and He's faithful to us. What's the ultimate fulfillment of that? He loves Israel and He made promises to them and He keeps it to the end. And Paul's telling us, and He did. Christ Jesus has come, Savior of the world. And through Him, all nations can be blessed who would put their hope in Christ. And he sends out his church to take that gospel to those nations. Psalm 117 All nations must respond to Psalm 117. I want to read this. You don't have to flip there. But there was a man named Simeon that he really got what I'm talking about here. He He picked up on it. This is Luke 2, verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Here's Simeon. He knows his Old Testament. He's waiting on the Christ that God had promised and it's been revealed to him that he's not going to die until he sees with his eyes the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the, par- and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and he blessed God. So there's Simeon. He's holding Jesus in his arms. And he begins blessing God. And this is what he says. Lord, Now you're letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. God, I can die now because you said I wouldn't die until I see the Christ. There he is. I can die now. Verse 30. For my eyes have seen your salvation. He's looking at the child Christ, the Messiah that has come to the Jews, saying, salvation, my eyes have seen your salvation. And listen, he gets it. That you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. A light for revelation to the Gentiles. That's the nations. And for glory to your people, Israel. Simeon got it. Worship Him, all nations. God has loved us and been faithful to us. And that means blessing to you. Now, here's what I want to do. That's Psalm 117. I want us to turn the corner now and and talk very practically about our church, by Grace Community Church, and missions. And again, I'm, I'm, I wanna do that because I believe, according to Romans 15, when Paul the Apostle quotes Psalm 117, he's quoting it in that context of all nations bringing glory to his name and his all nations mission, as we'll read in just a moment. So I wanna turn our attention with to practically talk about missions at Grace Community Church, and there's a few ways that I want to encourage every person here, every believer here, I want to encourage us to check ourselves in a few different ways, okay? Number one, Grace Community Church, let's check our hearts for the nations. Let's check our hearts for the nations. And I really want to encourage you to do this. Our attention can be so fickle. Our affections can be so fickle at times. And I want to encourage you to think about this, that there's a way that you can have a desire, a passion for something, and and because of who we are, it can be lost. So I want to encourage you, check your heart as it relates to a heart for the nations. I want us at Grace Community Church to be a people with this Psalm 117 passion. Let the nations praise Him. As we've often said, I desire that we would be in Antioch. What's God's heart for the nations? As you hear me, as we went Genesis to Revelation just a moment ago, and you hear God's heart for His all nations bride, shouldn't it be our hearts as well? And that's not something that, that, that's just for a certain class of people. This is not just for missionaries. This is not optional. This is every single member of the church, goers, senders, moms, businessmen, doesn't matter. Heart for the nations because it's God's heart. I want to encourage us to check our hearts in this area. Now, how do you do that? How do you test, how do you test your heart? How do you know sometimes? And I'll mention two things quickly that I think help you test and examine your own heart. One is prayer and one is generosity. Think about your prayer life. Do you pray for these things? Do you pray for our missionaries? Do you pray this, the, like the stuff that Dustin was praying a moment ago that, that God would raise up laborers to send into His harvest? Are you praying for these things? Because so often, the things that are on your lips and in your heart in prayer are the things that you care about. And as you examine your prayer life, do you pray for these things? If you see, if you see a lack there, I want to encourage you to respond accordingly. Let your heart be a heart for the nations also generosity your generosity towards the all nations mission i was thinking about this from our members meeting last week and 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 you know what what did it do to your heart to to uh look at the the budget and 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 see like this we're we're looking to support these missionaries for the glory of his namesake the way that we're trying to do that does that not rejoice your heart and doesn't it, feel, doesn't it do something to you to make you go, man, we want to do that more and more and more. That that percentage in which we're able to support laborers amongst unreached peoples, that percentage, we want that to go higher and higher and higher. Don't you long for that. Corporate giving is missions giving. When we're generous as a church towards this aim, we get to raise our budget the next year and and... And support more missionaries like the Chavez's and do these sort of things. This is, does that grip your heart? Well, if it does, test yourself in that. Are you generous in that way? Often where you give says something about your heart. And if you see a lack there, I want to encourage you to deal with it, to respond accordingly. Let's test ourselves in this. Let's examine ourselves. How is your heart towards the nations, towards this all nations mission? Now, second thing, second thing I want us to check is to check our worship. So, Grace Community Church, let's check our worship. That's what it says in our song: praise the Lord, praise the Lord. If we are not a church of zealous worshipers, we cannot expect to be a church engaged in the Great Commission. If we're not a church of zealous worshipers, we can't be expected to be a church engaged in the Great Commission. Worship has rightly been referred to as the fuel and the goal of missions. The fuel of missions and the goal of missions is worship. And here's what I mean. What I mean by the fuel of missions. The more you cherish Christ, the more you want to commend Christ to others. The more you cherish Jesus, the more you want to commend him out to the world, out to the nation. The higher the flames are burning, the brighter the light. A small little flame lights up a little darkness, but a massive flame for the glory of Christ, worship to Christ, it exposes a whole world of darkness. So it's the fuel. It's the fuel of missions. Now, it's also the goal of missions. As we go to all nations, what's our desire? That they would worship the God we worship, that we would preach to them, and ultimately they would praise him, the one that we praise. But listen, you can't commend the one you don't cherish. And so we need to check, we need to check our hearts of worship. If our affections are not towards God, if we're not enamored with God, or Proverbs 5, intoxicated with His love, if we're not enamored with God, we've got nothing to offer the nations. And that little bit that we do have to offer the nations, we're not going to be willing to make the sacrifices of our comfort to take it to them. We must check our worship. We need to examine ourselves in this area. I thought about the church at Ephesus in uh, Revelation 2. If you remember this, verse 1 through 4. That church had so many things right. They identified false apostles, got them out of there. They were a church of sound doctrine. There were so many things, so many things right about the church at Ephesus. And then Jesus says, but this I have against you, you've abandoned the love you had at first. That's an abandonment. That's, that's a That's a... A degrading of worship and and passion and longing for God. That has gone down. You've abandoned the love you had at first. And listen, when that happens, a mission dies with it. Have you felt that? Examine yourself. Have you felt a decline in your love for God, your worship towards God? If so, don't sit idly by. You must do something about it. If you knew that a murderer was coming into this room right now with an intent to harm people that you love, what would you do? You'd do everything to keep them out. Listen to me. Coldness murders the church. And it kills the mission. We have to test our worship. We need to check our worship. Let's pray for each other in this. Let's pray for our church. And, and, and just as, as a word of encouragement, These kind of prayers, prayers like this, God, stir my heart to long for you, to desire you, to worship your holy name. God, kill my coldness. Those kind of prayers, that's the kind of prayers that God certainly answers for you and when you pray it for the church. He loves to answer those kind of prayers. So pray those things. Third, lastly, we need to check our strategies. Okay? So check our hearts for the nations. Grace for me, church. Check our worship. And we need to check our strategies. Now, Psalm, Psalm 117 gives us the heart of it, right? The heartbeat of it. Praise him, all nations. And then we need to check our strategies to make that happen. Think about this. The first missionary journey is presented to us in Acts 13 and 14. So Acts 13, missionaries sent out from Antioch. Acts 14, at the end of Acts 14, they come back. So Acts 13 and 14, first missionary journey coming out of the church at Antioch. What can we learn from Acts 13 and 14 about biblical strategy for mission? And here's what I think we can learn, and then I'm going to try to unpack it a bit, and we'll close here. So if you like writing stuff down, you need to write this down. Missions is this. This is what missions is according to Acts 13 and 14 is churches sending out scripture-saturated, pastor-qualified men to unreached peoples to establish churches. I want to I you know, unpack that, so let me say that one more time. Missions is this. Churches sending out scripture-saturated, pastor-qualified men to unreached peoples to establish churches. Now, let me try to take each piece of that quickly. Missions is churches sending out. Now, why do I say churches? Why do I say it's a church sending out? Let me read. Let's, Let's actually go there. If you're not already there, go to Acts 13. And I want to read verse 1 through 4. And you answer the question, who sent out these missionaries in Acts 13 and 14? Acts 13, verse 1. Hear me out. I want us to be on the same page about these strategies. Listen. Now, there were in the church at Antioch, prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, many, and a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. So it mentions the church at Antioch and its leadership. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, side note, worships the fuel of mission, The Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called him. Then after fasting and praying, they laid hands on them and sent them off. Who sent out these missionaries? And what can we learn from it? It's the church at Antioch that sent them out. Wait a minute. Look at verse 4. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit... I thought it was the church that sent them out. This says the Holy Spirit sent them out. Which one is right? And and the answer is, the Holy Spirit does this. He sends out labors. God, raise up labors. Send out labors into your own nation. Send out labors into the harvest. And God does that through the church. Therefore, missions is not Lone Ranger missionaries uh, going to unreached peoples. Those men are usually self-qualified or self-appointed. This is the church doing this. One, one of the, if, you, if you listen to mature and godly missionaries scattered throughout the world, probably the complaint that you hear the most is, stop sending unqualified people to the mission field. You hear it over and over and over again from godly missionaries. Stop sending unqualified people. Listen to me. That is a terrible, a, tra- a tragic bad fruit of the church not typically being there to vet people and send them out to the mission. But what do we see in the first missionary journey? The church sending them out. Now, sending them out to what? And let's go to another part of this, this statement. To establish churches. Missions is churches establishing churches among unreached peoples. Now, where do you see that? If you look at Acts 14, if you're already there, 14, verse 21 says this. When they had preached the gospel to that city, and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, to Iconium, and to Antioch. What are they doing as they go out on the mission? Preaching the gospel, making disciples. Verse 22. Excuse me, verse... uh, Yeah, verse 22. Strengthening the souls of the disciples... Encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. Preach the gospel, make disciples, strengthen the souls of the disciples. Look at this next phrase. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church, with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. And so there we see the church. Preach the gospel, make disciples, strengthen the souls of the disciples, gather them up together with churches, appoint biblical and godly leadership. This is the aim. Missions is churches, establishing churches among unreached peoples. And So here's what this means. This means that missions is not merely evangelism, although that's a part of it. It's not merely humanitarian aid amongst the nations, although that can be there. But the aim is this, that there is no church there. Oh, God, establish your church in that dark land. That's the goal and the aim of missions. Now, I want you to think about this. This is something that helped me several years ago. You're there in Acts 14. Listen to this. Acts 14, verse 26. And from there, they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. I remember reading that years ago and thinking, "Okay, Paul and Barnabas went out from Antioch. They went to this place, this place, this place, this place. They went back to those cities and went back to Antioch. That's what happened. What did they do? Preached the gospel, made disciples, gathered them up into churches, appointed elders in every church. That's what it says in verse 23. That's what they did. And then I, I read this verse and this verse says they went back to Antioch where they were commended to the work that they had fulfilled. This means they could walk away from what they had done and say, work fulfilled, work completed, work finished. Now, it obviously doesn't mean that every soul amongst that people group was saved or every soul in that city was saved. It doesn't mean that. But they could walk away and say they have completed the work. And I remember thinking to myself, what, is that? what does that mean? What does it mean to go somewhere and complete a work? And it seems like what it means is gospel preached, disciples made, church gathered, elders appointed. That's a completed work. It's a completed work. And if and 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 I trace took that same Greek word for fulfilled or completed, and I tried to trace it out in the rest of the New Testament. And here's what I found: You go to Acts nineteen twenty one, and it says, "As he's leaving Ephesus, the work was fulfilled." Same Greek word there. It was completed. So what happened in Ephesus? Read, read Acts 19 and 20. Gospel preached, disciples made, church established, pa- uh, uh, leadership, biblical leadership appointed. You know that from Acts 20, whenever Paul gathers up the elders of the church at Ephesus. Remember that? And then I thought of the verse in Titus, Titus 1 3. Titus, in, in chapter 1, verse 3, he's left in Crete to do what? To take what, to set in order what remains or what's lacking. Something's incomplete. In that place, Titus, and I need you to complete it. I need you to fulfill it. And what is the thing he says do in Titus 1-3? Appoint elders in every city. What's a complete work? Gospel priests, disciples made, church established, biblical leadership, which takes you straight to here. I know I keep taking you there. Romans 15. The same Greek word for completed or fulfilled is here. Romans 15, look at verse... Eighteen. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed. He's talking about Christ accomplishing something through him among the nations. Okay? Verse 19. By the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, that's think about Jerusalem and and moving towards different people groups, different cities, moving towards Rome. Which is who he's writing this letter to. He says, from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have, here's the word, fulfilled, completed the ministry of the gospel of Christ. What does it mean? It can't mean everybody's saved from Jerusalem to Illyricum. What he's, what he's getting at here is what's fulfilled. That in all these places, from Jerusalem to Rome, what has happened? Gospel preached, disciples made, church gathered, appointed leadership. Think about what is in between Jerusalem and Illyricum. Jerusalem is a church there with leadership. In the Galatian region, churches with leadership there. Look at, look at what about Ephesus is there, a Corinth is there, a Philippi is there. In all these places, we've got letters written to these churches. And so he's looking at that saying completed works. And this is the way we should think about the mission of God is churches, establishing churches among unreached people groups that we want to complete works where the work is incomplete and then move on to another place where Christ is not named. This is the mission of God. Now I'll keep breaking down these phrases a little more quickly. It's Churches sending out, and I use this phrase, phrase, Scripture-saturated men. And I'm getting that again from just looking at Acts 13 and 14. Who did they send out? What kind of men did they send out? Not just those that are available. Availability is not enough. But Scripture-saturated men. And I want to show that to you very quickly from the text. Acts 13 verse 5 says this. When they arrived, this is Paul and Barnabas sent out. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God. They have the word of God in them. Their scripture saturated and they proclaim it. That's what they're there to do. If you keep reading and you read the first little uh, a sermon that's recorded for, for us there. It's like verse 15 to about 41 or something like that. And you just read, what does Paul say when he goes to these nations? Listen, Paul in his preaching references the book of Exodus, the book of Joshua, the book of Judges, the book of 1 Samuel. He directly quotes Psalm 2, Psalm 16, Isaiah, Habakkuk. He, this is a scripture-saturated man bringing the good news to the nations. You can see it in chapter 13, verse Verse 44, listen to this. The next Sabbath, almost the whole whole city gathered to do what? To hear the word of the Lord. Verse 48. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. What are are they hearing? These are Scripture-saturated men taking the word of God to the nations. That's just chapter 13. If we moved on into chapter 14, you'd see more of that. Scripture-saturated man. When it comes to sending missionaries, having a heart for the nations is not enough. It's not enough. These are men with a message. It's not the men that are going to bring help to the nations. It's the message that they bring. Men of doctrine. Men of truth. Men with the gospel. Now, I also said in that statement that they must be pastor-qualified men. And again, I just see that in Acts 13 and 14. Who did the church at Antioch send out on this first missionary journey? They sent out pastor-qualified men, Paul and Barnabas. Why? I think the reason's obvious. Once you get that piece that the aim is to start churches... If you understand that as the mission, churches, establishing churches among the unreached peoples, then you must send out men who are equipped and called and qualified to be pastors of those churches. Now this doesn't exclude others for joining in the work. We see that in in Acts 13 verse 4 as John Mark is sent as an assistant to these men. There's nothing wrong with that. But the meat and potatoes of missions is this, sending out pastor-called and qualified men to the mission field for the glory of Christ. Now last word in that statement and I'll I'll say that statement one more time last one I think I want to highlight just to say it one more time the the mission is this churches sending out scripture saturated pastor qualified men to unreached peoples to establish churches. Now that word unreached peoples we've already talked about it a bit but that's exactly what they were doing in the first missionary journey unreached people, people who, who knew nothing of Christ where Christ wasn't named, where the church was not established, there was no beacon of, of the, the glory of Christ in that place, it, it wasn't there and they were, they were going to these unreached peoples taking the gospel with them now I want you to go back one more time, Romans 15, sorry if I said one more time a minute ago but one more time for real Go back to Romans 15. And I want you to see this sort of thing of Paul's longing to get the gospel and see the church established amongst unreached peoples. Look at verse 20. And thus I make it my ambition. Remember what he just said. From Jerusalem to Illyricum, completed works all over the place. Thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel not where Christ has already been named. He wants to take the gospel where Christ has not been named. Look at verse 22. This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. The gospel's already been preached in Rome. Disciples have already been made in Rome. The church is there with leadership. It's already there. And I wanted to come there, but I've been hindered from coming there. Why? i got to get the gospel to these unreached peoples. Verse 23. But now since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you. He's been longing to go to Rome, but what stops him? He's got it on his mind. These people that have no gospel, Rome's got it, they don't. But now from Jerusalem to Illyricum, the work is completed, and he can go to Rome. Mission over, right? Wrong. Look at verse 24. I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain, the next place where Christ is at named, and to be helped on my journey there by you once I've enjoyed your company for a while. Verse 28 When therefore I have completed this and have delivered, delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. Man, he's trying to get to Spain. Unreached peoples. He wants to get there and he wants to scream at the top of his lungs. Psalm 117. Praise the Lord, all nations. Extol him, all peoples. For great is his His steadfast love towards us and his faithfulness endures forever. Praise the Lord. He wants to tell them that. If the heart, Grace Community Church, if we have the heart of Psalm 117, burning in us, worship for Christ, uh, white-hot worshipers for Jesus, and longing for Him to be known among the nations. If that heart is in us, and it's like, it's like gas on the fire towards these, this biblical strategy laid out for us in the first missionary journey. Listen to me. We can have a massive impact on eternity. A massive impact on eternity. And I pray that that's your desire and that you would pray that like, that like that persistent widow that just kept going to God and kept going to God and kept going to Him this over and over and over again. I pray that you'd be like that. And let's pray to Him now that the Lord would help us. Father, thank You so much again for Your Word. And Lord, I do pray that you would would bless us, Lord, with this this heart that we see in Psalm 117, Lord. Please, God, grant that to us. That we would be worshipers, Lord. That our love would not grow cold. That we wouldn't abandon it, Lord. But that our longings for you, God, our our affections and delight towards you would just increase more and more and more. Please, God, do it. We know we're dependent on you for that. Lord, we're so blind without you, but help us to taste and see your goodness and to be zealous worshipers for your name say God. And I pray that that hot flame of, of longing for you, God, would shine out into all nations for your name. Say God, give us a heart for the nations. God, I pray that you would not let that fade, but that more and more, God, you would increase our desire to make. Your name great among the nations. God, please raise up more laborers. Make us faithful in prayer and faithful in giving. Make us a generous people towards this mission. God, help us. Help us, Lord, to honor you in these things. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.